chapter 9, and I will be reading verses 35 through 38. Hear the word of God. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word. It is our desire to be drawn ever closer to you every time we read the word. May there never be a time in personal devotions or in corporate worship where we are exposed to your word, where it does not sanctify us and set us apart into a deeper and closer walk with you. And so we pray that you would anoint the preaching and take uh, this clay vessel and I uh, pray that you would use it uh, for the furthering of your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, I'm uh, thrilled that Gary is finally uh, being ordained into the presbytery as an elder. And I want to give an exhortation both to Gary and to the congregation. And really, it's an exhortation I need to hear and keep need to reminding myself of and uh, the other elders that are here as well, and that is to have a passion in ministry. Now, I think the Lord Jesus Christ is a pattern and a model for us, not just in uh, things like this, but every aspect of ministry, ministry methods and goals and motives and being empowered by the Spirit, expectations, outcomes. But in this passage, I see a passion that He is also a model for us in, and there are seven aspects to it that I want to look at. The first context in which passionate ministry is found is in a willingness to look around us. In verse 36, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Part of passion in ministry comes from a willingness to look. Look at the needs that are around us. I remember one time that my father, who was a missionary out in Ethiopia for 30 years, and my mother is here still with us, but uh, he took me on a, a long a trek to one of the churches, and as he stood up on top of a mountain, I was just looking at the incredible scenery, uh, just fantastic view, and I glanced over at my dad, and I was kind of surprised to see the tears just streaming down his cheeks. And I knew exactly what he was seeing. He was seeing all of the smoke that was rising in the distance from villages, thousands of people who had never heard the gospel, as he would word it, who are going to a lost eternity. And seeing the needs out there, it was driving within him this passion to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> And I remember just looking at him, the impact that that had upon me, that my heart was so far from God, all I could see was the scenery. <laughs> I could not see the things that led to a passion uh, within his own spirit. It was William Carey praying over a map and looking at all of the information uh, from the country he was eventually to become a missionary to, that stirred such a passion within him, he could not but go out and minister for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion 
for them. Do you wish that you had a greater passion for ministry? Well, one of the things I would encourage you to do is to start writing down all of the needs of every member in this congregation, lift them up before the Lord, or start reading books and praying through books that will expose to you the needs that are out there in the world. And I've listed in your outline some of the books that are out there, Operation World and Ministry Watchmen and, and uh, Gateway City, 100 Gateway Cities of the 1040 uh, window. There is a lot of books out there that are showing you the statistics of, of, uh, of countries. How many are Christians? How many are not Christians? What kind of religions are out there? What are some of the strongholds of those cities? When you read those books, in effect what you're doing is you're looking at the multitudes and it's in the context of exposing yourself to those needs that God many times raises a passion uh, within us. Or you could write down in a journal the needs of your family that you can lift up before the Lord. The point is, Jesus did not seclude himself in a monastery away from all of the needs and all of the evils that were out there in the world. No, he came to minister precisely to uh, those needs that he saw. And fathers, you will never gain a passion for your children and ministry to your children, if you are not acquainting yourself with their sorrows, their needs, their discouragements, all of the heartache that your wife and your kids are going through, uh, if we want a passion in ministry, we've, we've got to look. We've got to look. My passion for international ministries came as a result of exposing myself to international ministries. And uh, the more I did it and the different trips that I'd go on, God kept increasing the passion for that aspect of ministry. Now, God's going to put His own unique burdens on your heart. Every person's uh, going to have different ministries, different callings uh, that He has given, but rarely will God burden your heart simply by sitting in your study or sitting in your living room. It's usually as you go out and you begin to witness the needs that are there that God will say, I'm calling you to meet those needs. You need to be there. It's an examining the harvest field. So, Gary... Um, I charge you uh, to look to the needs and be acquainted with the needs of this congregation and members of this congregation. I charge you to look and look with a prayer that God would catch your heart with those needs. A second way to develop a passion for ministry is a willingness to feel. Verse 36 says, He was moved with compassion for them. Now the Greek word for compassion is splunknidzo, and it just refers to your intestines. <laughs> your guts, okay? And I think you know exactly what he's talking about. When you have emotions, you feel it right there, don't you? And uh, it doesn't feel comfortable when you see a person, for example, being beaten up by thugs. It makes you sick to your stomach. You, you have this churning of your emotions uh, within. That's splunk nidzo. Oh, so here's the issue. When you are met with a need... God has designed you so that your emotions will kick in and there are only two ways that you can resolve the, those emotions, those feelings. First way is a godly way. You allow those emotions to drive you to action. That's exactly what Jesus did here. He was moved to action by those feelings. Now the other way that those feelings can be resolved is to have the feelings closed off, shut down. We don't want to think about things that are uncomfortable to us. That's kind of shutting down uh, the emotions. And if you do that enough, eventually your feelings will become calloused. Because it's a self-protective mechanism. 
if you don't take action, it'll burn you up inside. And so eventually it'll become calloused. And, and uh, 1 John warns us not to close off our feelings. I love the way the King James words it. But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. Okay, that's the literal rendering there. Shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? See, we can shut off those churning emotions by not exposing ourselves to messed up marriages and exposing ourselves to people who are on drugs and having other kinds of problems. We can shut off those bowels of compassion within us if uh, we're, we're so busy at work, we don't come home to hear some of the heartache that our wives are going through. You know, and we don't want to hear the, 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 the struggles that our children are going through. But in the process of doing that, yes, we avoid the pain of those emotions, but we lose the incredible joy of a ministry that is dynamic and that really makes change, that's transformational in people's lives. Being willing to feel pain, sorrow, anger, pity, sympathy, agony, all of the other emotions that are part and parcel of real ministry will begin to make your ministry a transformational. But you'll never have passion in ministry if you sear those emotions. Now let me just caution us here that uh, anytime emotions are involved, there can be dangers that are involved as well. One of the dangers uh, in this whole area of emotions is uh, with unsanctified emotions to be latching on to the offense that somebody else has. Now, you think you're being compassionate because you are siding with them and the, the bitterness that they're going through. And what inevitably happens in these situations of our emotions are not sanctified to God is we take on the bitterness of the other person. And before you know it, the whole congregation is poisoned with bitterness. Okay, so emotions by themselves are not uh, a good thing. Another danger is to not have emotions under control. Some people think their emotions are neutral. You know, j just are. No, 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 no. You cannot look at emotions that way. Emotions are either ungodly or they are godly. There is no neutrality and they must be sanctified to the Lord. Another danger is to let yourself be burned out with your emotions. Now, you can get burned out if you... Don't allow those emotions to drive you into action. Or if there's no action that's possible, if you've not learned how to cast your cares upon the Lord, knowing that He cares for you, but you've got to learn how to handle those emotions. You can't just say, oh, well, emotions are the caboose of the train. They'll eventually follow along. That ain't the case, brothers and sisters. Those emotions really end up motivating people into sin or motivating people into righteousness, but we've got to sanctify them. Too many people neglect, <coughs> neglect them. Uh, be willing to feel for people, to empathize with them, to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And you will find your heart connected with people just like Christ was connected uh, with people. He did not minister to people in a cold, clinical, abstract way. In fact, um, there's one seminary a guy was told that you oh, you can't ever become close to any of the members of your church uh you've got to be more clinical in your approach well that's not the way christ was not the way any of the apostles were the disciples no they connected heart to heart they wept with those who wept and they rejoiced with those who rejoiced so he was willing to feel compassion for them now if you want your children to be passionate for ministry let me suggest a couple of ways 
that you can help them to sanctify their emotions to the Lord. First of all, you can involve your children in ministry to the hurting. Uh, and that will get their emotions kicked in. They may, may, may make them cry when they see that somebody is willing to kill their baby in abortion. You involve them in pro-life ministry or writing to the needy. Uh, or you take them to a nursing home where they see, wow, this is sad, mom and dad. These people are just sitting in their poop and nobody's changing them. And you say, yeah, that's why we need to be compassionate. That's why we need to go and minister to these people. They're so lonely. Did you notice how, how, how much that woman smiled when we came and we ministered? You're, you're exposing them to a needy world. Now, what happens in America is that we don't like to be exposed to all of the need that's out there. And so in America, we've sanitized everything. We've shipped all of the needy off into institutions or places where nobody can see them. And so you have to make special effort to expose your children to those kinds of needs. But if you do so, your children's emotions will kick into gear. That gives you an opportunity to explain, why did God make our emotions? These emotions were designed to motivate us, to move us into, into ministry, to energize us. And if we don't take action, these emotions will burn us up. And so you, you teach them right from the youngest times how to make their emotions sanctified to the Lord. Here's another a suggestion you can do with your children and teaching them to sanctify their emotions to the Lord. Read great Christian biographies. Read missionary biographies to your children. And your children, as you're reading them, they can begin to live in that needy world vicariously and begin to weep for some of the needs that are out there. We've seen that happen in our families as we've wet, uh, read these, uh, these books. Now, again, you don't want them to have emotion for the sake of emotion. You want them, as they're weeping, to say, yeah, we should weep over what's happening, but let's do something about this. Let's support a missionary. Let's, let's write a letter to this missionary and tell them that we are so glad that they went on our behalf and we want to share in that. You see what I'm, I'm talking about? We need to help our kids to sanctify their emotions uh, to the Lord. By the way, I was talking to the elders last night uh, about uh, movies. Uh, so many times when we read books or we watch something out there on the street happening or we read books, uh, re watch movies, we just sit there passively and do nothing. God, you know those emotions that kick into gear when you see a murder happening on a movie or you see something else disastrous happening or a, a husband and wife are breaking up or something like that. It, it makes you feel terrible inside, but those were supposed to be designed by God to move you to action, to do something, to try to prevent that. But instead of jumping out of the seat and protecting the victim that's being, uh, being hit upon, what do you do? You sit there passively in your seat. And over time, if you watch too many movies, what's going to happen is you're going to condition your body to say, uh, we're not going to do the God design thing with our emotions. We're just going to be passive. Anytime the emotions kick in, we're just going to let us eat, eat us up inside. I, I think you really need to consider that. After a movie, if you're going to watch one, discuss the emotions that are in there and say, you know what? These emotions need to be resolved in a godly way. They must be sanctified to the Lord. Let's take some action. What are the things that we saw in here that, uh, that responded within us and how can we make a difference? Okay, so I think that is an important... Be willing to feel. Uh, Christ allowed His emotions to move Him into ministry. Third way in which Jesus maintained passion, what he, he was always filled with hope in the future. 
Now, to me, this is such an important principle because it's very easy, and the elders can bear witness with me on this, it's very easy to become cynical and discouraged and hardened in ministry when you've been kicked in the stomach over and over again. Isn't that true? So easy to become cynical. Christ, it didn't matter how many times he was used and abused, he did not become cynical. He did not. And he wants us to have faith and hope and his power to change people's lives. Look at his promise here in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now that is a statement of faith. Notice he doesn't say, You know, guys, we got way too many laborers to take in the pitiful amount of elect that God's going to save in history. And so the church in Omaha is going to really have to compete for the few souls, you know, to say. No, he's saying there are never going to be enough laborers to pull in the harvest that is out there. This is an incredible statement of faith. It's a wonderful statement. Now, what would make a farmer get excited about working in his field? It would not be the realization that 99.9% of his uh, harvest was uh, blighted and was going to be utterly unusable. He'd be so discouraged, he'd wonder, man, do I even take the combine out there? What a waste. Uh, What would make him really excited is the realization he has got a full harvest. In fact, it's more of a harvest than he can possibly pull in himself. He's going to have to bring in all the laborers that he can. That's what Jesus is applying in the spiritual realm. He is not saying that we're, you know, the world is going to eventually be just 99.9% unbelievers. There's going to be very few people out there. Okay, disciples, I want you to get baskets and just... You might be able to glean a few uh, kernels here and there from the ground. No, he's talking about an enormous harvest that needs to come in. In fact, the Great Commission is incredibly great. It's not just a few individuals. It's nations themselves, all the nations being discipled. And when you are gripped with a vision of what God holds out for you. It drives you with passion. When I finally came to what some people call an eschatology of hope, it revolutionized my life. It gave me faith in so many different areas. It energized me, gave me passion in ministry. And this is what I want for you, to to begin focusing on the promises of God where He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Where He says, uh, you know, that He's going to come back Uh, not to a tear field with a few wheat in it, but to a wheat field with some tares in it, right? He's going to come back to a lump of bread that is completely leavened. These are the promises. Jesus was so wildly optimistic about the harvest of the non-Israelite nations, He said that there is going to be more harvest than there are laborers to bring it in. And you've got to pray and pray that God raises up laborers for the harvest. For me, this has been huge. doesn't matter how many discouraging setbacks I have had. I just keep going back to the promises of God, and it just enables me to keep on going on, just like the Energizer Bunny, you know. They give me passion, those promises. Now, let's apply this in other areas. Obviously, if you're discouraged over the state of America, there's so many scriptures you can go to to encourage your heart. Go to Psalm 72 and say, Lord, you've promised here that every king is going to bow before you. You've promised that all the nations will bow before you. I'm claiming America, you know, for King Jesus. Be glorified and glorify your Son. Bring joy to the angels of heaven. There's so many promises you can, you can claim on the big scale. But let's apply it now on the individual level. Gary, <coughs> if you get discouraged over some believer in this congregation just does not seem to be making progress very fast, 
Don't give up. Don't get discouraged because Scripture promises, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And He's not just saying that to you. He's saying that to the member who's having a difficult time growing in his walk. And you can claim that. You say, Lord, you've promised you're not going to stop on this guy until he is sanctified in you. So I'm going to keep working on him by faith and investing in his life. And members, when you get discouraged over your own sinfulness, and some of the things that just seem so impossible to achieve that God has called you to do. Claim Christ's promise. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. That's Luke 18, verse 27. We should not allow discouragement to take away hope from our lives. Here's another promise, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. That's His promise to you. It's an incredible promise. And so the promises of a God who cannot lie are designed to stir up passion within us. Now, on the other hand, there's all kinds of things that can rob us of that passion and make us want to absolutely give up. One of them is exhaustion and tiredness. Uh, anytime you've been without sleep and you are just really, really exhausted, you need to be aware. This is going to be a weak point in my life where Satan's going to tempt me to give up and I'm going to be prepared for Satan and his attacks. Uh, what you do is you fight for passion by affirming scriptures like this one. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. Blessed be God. Psalm 68, verse 35. In effect, what you are doing is you are claiming God's promises by affirming the scripture statements. Okay, By, by affirming them, you're claiming them. And, and, and it, by, especially if you verbally do it. I think the Scripture calls us to be very outward and verbal in our applications. They overcame Satan by the, word of, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. We've we got to testify to the truth of Scripture. That's an act of faith. Satan can try to rob you of your passion for ministry by tempting you to say, you know, nobody loves you. They don't like you. Uh, everybody's against you. And you say, stop it, Satan. I'm not even going to listen to you because Romans 8 says that uh, there is nothing in all of creation that can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Get behind me. I'm not going to listen to your temptations to make me give up on other people. Or Satan might uh, tempt you to um, uh, think that uh, you're stupid. Well, just take that and uh, say, you can't do anything. You're stupid. You've made so many mistakes in the past. And all you can do is you can say, well, thank you for reminding me, Satan, that I need Jesus in every day of my life. And he has promised that he will give wisdom to anyone who asks in James. And I'm asking you, Lord, for wisdom. And I don't care what Satan says about me because you're the source of wisdom, not me anyway. And so what we need to do is we need to encourage ourselves concerning the future with the promises of Scripture. That's what drives us with passion uh, for the ministries God has called us to. And so there's all kinds of scriptures that give you hope for your individual future, for your family's future, for your church's future, and that Jesus is claiming every square inch of planet Earth. They, those uh, pr promises in scripture have re-stirred hope within me countless times. A fourth step for developing a passion for ministry and keeping passion in ministry is a willingness to pray. It's not by accident that verse 38 precedes or maybe another way of saying it, is that verse 38 is followed by chapter 10, verse 1, where he sends out those uh, disciples. They're commissioned. 
So in verse 38, it says, Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. They pray, they get sent out. See, their prayers has stirred up a passion. Lord, send me. I don't know where the others are coming from, but at least send me out there. This is what prayer does within us. Charles Spurgeon said, Oh, without prayer, what are the church's agencies but the stretching out of a dead man's arm or the lifting up of the lid of a blind man's eye? Only when the Holy Spirit comes is there any life and force and power. It is on our knees that the Holy Spirit is poured out in power upon His church. And I would urge you, members of this church, do you pray for the ministries of Dominion Covenant Church? Do we pray for uh, the, 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 the denomination, the CPC, and for other denominations? Do we pray on our knees? A willingness to pray is a prelude to passion. But passion will always drive us more and more into prayer. Now, some people might object. I know that intellectually, but I have such a struggle with praying, let alone ministry. I just keep falling. I plan to do it, and I just cannot do it. I want to do it, but I cannot do it. Well, you know what? That want to is a seed that the Holy Spirit has planted within your heart. And if you water that seed and you use that seed, you're going to see it grow. If you ignore it and say, oh, I can't do it because I have so little, then it's going to become even more little. That's what's going to happen. Here's what Spurgeon recommended when you feel feeble in any area, feeble in prayer, feeble in ministry. He says, start with what you've got, use your feebleness, and watch God make it grow. He multiplies the loaves and the fishes. Here's what he said about prayer. The more we pray, the more we shall want to pray. Huh, that's very interesting. You start off not wanting to pray, but you pray anyway by faith. And you say, Lord, I know my heart needs to be more given to prayer. But I'm going to start where I'm at. Fill my heart with a spirit of prayer and supplication. So he says, the more we pray, the more we shall want to pray. The more we pray, the more we can pray. The more we pray, the more we shall pray. He who prays little will pray less. Okay, so if you say, I can't do it very well, so I'm not going to even try, that's going to be even less and less and less desire. You're either going forward or you're going backward. So he says, he who prays little will pray less, but he who prays much will pray more, and he who prays more will desire to pray more abundantly. It's a growth process. You've got to start somewhere. And so again, Gary and congregation, all of us, let us be people of prayer that God may pour into our souls a, a, a passion for ministry. Now, prayer without action grieves God's Spirit. And so the fifth point is a willingness to labor. Verse 38, to send out laborers. Jesus went out to labor. And then he asked others to labor. He never asked them to do what he was not first willing to do them, himself. And by the way, uh, men, uh, we need to take that attitude, not just preaching at our family and what they need to do, but we need to be involved in the very things and with them, showing them uh, how to do it. But don't think Gary and Rodney and I are the only ministers and Larry is the only ministers in this church. All of you are called to the work of the ministry. Every one of us are laborers in his kingdom. And what an awesome thing it would be if every man, woman, and child in this church had such a passion that we would be moved the way Jesus Christ was moved. I mean, it would just turn things upside down. It would just be an amazing, amazing thing. Well, a, a willingness to get our hands dirty in any job will connect you with other jobs. That's what Proverbs says. He was diligent. 
Stand before kings, right? God, God, what he does is he multiplies when we're willing to, to, to do what we can with what we have. The more jobs you start finding God's blessing upon, the more you will desire to labor. And so it's a self-feeding process. In fact, if you want to develop this whole concept for your kids, I highly recommend the book in your outline by Bob Schultz, Created for Work. Now, he's um, a carpenter, and he just takes all of the different jobs that he has, and he shows how God is part and parcel of everything that he is doing. Uh, he deals with work ethic, and he deals with attitudes and ministry opportunities, and the way he works with people. It's fantastic. It's just like two or three pages in a, a chapter. You can read it uh, some, maybe, we do it Saturday nights, usually. And then we have discussion questions at the end of the chapter that we discuss together. It's a fabulous way of communicating these kinds of principles to your children. Okay, a sixth step that we can take is to have a willingness to go where the needs are rather than waiting for them to come to us. Verse 38, send out laborers into his harvest. So where was it that Jesus found himself motivated with this passion? It was in the harvest field. Okay? It was as he was exposed to the ministry needs that this passion was aroused uh, within him. If we stay cooped up in our safe little churches, we won't develop a passion for ministry. Instead, we're going to reinforce stronger and stronger a status quo to the point where you're, everybody's going to dig in their heels for any change that comes along. That's what, what will happen. You either go forward or you go backward. There, there's no in-between. So we need to go out where the needs are, and those needs might be going and ministering to a, a fellow member, going to their house, just being an encouragement to them, or inviting them over to your house. It might be taking your children to a nursing home. Uh, but going out into the needs is the place where frequently God adds this passion to ministry, and we want that to develop in our children's lives. Uh, you can only steer a moving ship can only steer a moving ship and in the same way guidance ordinarily comes to those who are moved enough to get involved in at least some ministry uh, over the years I've also found out that many times it's in the context of actually ministering that God gives new spiritual gifts and new abilities to people it's in the midst of doing various tasks of outreach that God burdens his people with specific areas of ministry so the way I word this is you can only steer a moving ship. Uh, we will never develop a passion for ministry if we don't involve ourselves in ministry. If you're not passionate for ministry right now, remember the context that Christ was in here. And so this is really an admonition to both officers and members. Get out there where the needs are. Be willing to serve wherever uh, you are needed. And at, what you're going to find is as God pours blessings into your lives, out of your innermost being will flow those rivers of living water. It's going to bring healing into the lives of other people. God will use you to bless others. And then finally, point seven, we need to have a willingness to follow Christ's lead. Now, verses 36 to 38 are sandwiched between verse 35 and chapter 10. So let's look at verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So it's after watching Jesus engaging in all kinds of ministries that he then sends them out to do the same thing. He does it first, they watch, he sends them out to do it. I think we've got to do exactly the same thing uh, with our children. 
the disciples told their disciples, imitate me even as I imitate Christ. That's the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. Uh, This was the pattern you find in the New Testament, which means that if you want your kids to follow you as leaders, you need to follow your leaders in the church. They imitate what they see you doing. If you want your kids to have passion in ministry, you need to demonstrate passion in ministry. If you want your children to be sold out to King Jesus, you've got to be sold out to King Jesus. You can't just preach it. That will alienate your children. We have got to model to our children what it means to have passion for ministry. They are watching, they are imitating. Now, I think every one of us here is committed to ministry, at least intellectually. The question is, do we have passion? Do we have passion? Where do we get it? We get it from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives it to us as we put ourselves in the place of blessing. Now, one of the reasons we come to corporate worship is because the Psalms say that God blesses His people in the midst of Zion. One of the reasons we put ourselves into ministry situations is because God delights in blessing His people in all kinds of ways while they are ministering. So here's my admonition. I want you to put yourself in the place of blessing by being willing to look, willing to feel, willing to be optimistic, willing to pray, willing to labor in the tasks of this church, willing to go where the needs are found, and then finally willing to follow Christ's lead in discipleship. May it be so, Lord Jesus. Amen. Father God, we thank You for this Scripture. And it really is our desire to... Uh, live it out, and I pray that you would uh, cause us uh, to uh, grow in your word, grow in our ability to apply it. Do not allow Satan to take the seed away as the birds snatched up the seed from the, uh, the pathway, but Father, may it uh, sink deeply into our hearts and produce uh, within us transformational ministry, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.